Welcome to Season 2, Episode 10 of the Shoulda Backed It podcast. The all-age stakes headlined a massive day of racing at Randwick, with Tefane nabbing last year's winner Pirata on the line. In the other feature, King's Legacy backed up its last start win in the size produce for a last gasp win in the two-year-old Group 1 Champagne Stakes. Over in Adelaide, Geetras once again showed he's a horse worth following, with a dominant win over Sunlight in the Group 3 Irwin Stakes. Joining me to talk through all the action for the final time this season is racing expert Chris Venuccio. Mate, it was a tough day on the punt on Saturday. Were you able to find one or two winners throughout the day? Hello, Phil. No, it was a, a dirty day for me, and it probably was for a lot of punters, but I think you're in the, you were in the few percent that managed to come out with a profit. Uh, a small profit, but that's more bl- dumb luck, I think, at the end of the day, Big V. I backed a lot of losers over the day, but a couple of you know, big price winners, including Tefane in the old age, did make sure that I just had enough money in the old Benny account to uh, keep me going for next week. Yeah, as a tough day, as you mentioned, and Caulfield was a, a wipeout, you know, particularly those quaddy legs. I think every winner was double figures and it was a massive quaddy. So I didn't bet too big. Well, actually, I didn't bet at Caulfield at all, which probably saved me from losing a lot more. But, yeah, it was uh, pretty tough. Just got to put it aside and learn from the mistakes and try and uh, rebound in the next couple of weeks. Well, we did see some really good racing, though, at Randwick, and I think it was a credit to the, the team over there for a, a pretty amazing carnival in the end, some really good racing. You could almost overlook the fact there was no people there watching on TV because, uh, once again, we saw some, some good winners, as we mentioned, Tefane, but also other horses that we've been following throughout the autumn, including Rubisaki, who uh, got the job done again in, in good style. So we'll discuss that later on in the podcast, but still plenty of action and... Uh, yeah, we, we move on now. Um, Adelaide's on the horizon, and I know you're a big fan of racing over at Morfordville, so I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts later on in the podcast around some horses we can follow moving into that carnival. But, but as I mentioned, this is our last podcast for this season, um, covering the autumn, but we'll certainly uh, be keeping an eye on the other racing that does occur. But we might start... As always, mate, with our Shoulda Backed It for the week. And you'll be going to Morfordville, so a nice little segue there into race seven and Garner, who, who I know is a horse that you've been keen on and have been following, so I'm surprised you jumped off it. Yeah, I was on it last start. It has, I had it as a horse to follow, and I saw Keelong in the race, and Keelong beat Garner by about five lengths when they met last campaign, and Keelong finished third behind Probabile and Funstar about two months ago and I thought, gee, that's just the A-grade form. I just thought this horse should have too much class with this field. I know it was coming back 14 to 1,100 uh, but I just thought this Keylong should have had too much class for them but it was very disappointing. I don't think it was a great ride as well. You know, three, four wide at a hot speed but maybe I should have you know, Stuck with Garner, did get the the slipstream behind Keelong in the run, you know, perfectly positioned. No, it was three wide as well, but had cover, and it paid a decent price, five fifty, when it was well back last start. So, you know, maybe I should have stuck with it. And you know, it's, it's another time when I've lost out on a horse dropping back from fourteen to eleven, and I thought the seven weeks between runs might not be, 
you know, might nullify that. You know, the horse might have been, a, you know, a bit sharper here. So it was a disappointing run, and you know, Ghana was a strong win. Yeah, well, Keelan, it was interesting. It apparently got pretty fired up before the race, and it got the massive drifts right at the end. I think it blew out from $3 to $4 in the last minute or two of betting. So there was a bit of talk around the the track that it uh, hadn't handled the occasion, albeit without a crowd very well. So maybe that's an excuse for it as well. But it certainly was an impressive win for Ghana. So uh, one to keep an eye on. You know, you you did have a, a, a couple of bad experiences with it, but... One, one convincingly, I thought so. Definitely one to to keep on the radar. Yeah, again, I was mate. surprised by that drift. You know, some bookies had it at four dollars. So I thought, gee, this might be, you know, this could be a bit of a gift if Keelong got up. I mean, he's coming out of Group One form, up against horses in you know benchmark listed races. So the form, you know, the class was there. It was just very disappointing one. I thought it was travelling going into the straight, but. Mm. Just didn't wasn't able to kick, kick clear, and maybe just that tough early tempo um, didn't allow it to get a gap on the field. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't be jumping off it. I think getting over a bit more distance, it's going to be proved to be pretty hard to beat. And we saw at Caulfield that a you know you can come out of a Group One and look like you've got the class edge in the in the field and not get the job done. Uh, with Pippi and also Mr Quickie both not quite getting the job done on the weekend. But uh, my should have backed it for the week was uh, the aforementioned King's Legacy in the Champagne Stakes. As, as listeners will know, I'm not a big gambler in two-year-old races, if at all, but it was probably a pretty smart bet in hindsight. It had beaten this field, actually a, a stronger field last start. I, I stuck with Ole Kirk each way, so I wasn't didn't lose anything on the race, but really uh, King's Legacy was the rightful favourite. You got a pretty good price, and in hindsight was, a, was an obvious choice. Yeah, I have to be with you there as well. I stayed out of the race, and in hindsight, I probably should have jumped on. But I think what put me off the race is this isn't a this is an ordinary bunch of two year olds, and and I just think King's Legacy is the the best of an ordinary bunch. I think it's been gifted two pretty soft Group Ones because they were low rating Group One wins that King's Legacy is one. But I suppose he was probably had the the edge on the field, and I think two seventy two eighty was a pretty decent price. I don't think this is a, um, a field where we're going to follow too much into the spring. I don't think. So you don't you don't think King's Legacy has has shown to be a class horse? I, th- I would have thought it's right at the top echelon of the two year olds at least, and you know maybe away game and obviously Farnham up there as well. But I, I would have thought it's one of the the stronger horses out of that sort of pack. No, I wouldn't think so. I mean, it was beaten seven lengths by finding him in the slipper, although it was first up and probably better at 14, 16. But I think you'll find that the size produce and, and the champagne stakes on the weekend won't be rated very highly. I'm keen to probably take on these horses in the spring. Speaking of horses you should have taken on, you should have sacked it for the weekend's an old favourite of yours, Bivouac in the all-age stakes. Ended up starting favourite, which... To me, it was a big surprise. I, I didn't think it was, it was worthy favourite, but yeah, ended up running on okay. But disappointing, I would have thought if you were on it. Yeah, I think I think it was very disappointing. I got on at four eighty, prepared to give it another chance because looking at the at the map and the way the race shape was going to be, I thought it was going to be an advantage from Barrier Four. Missed the start in the TJ. Had to do a lot of work between the eight and the two. And I just thought here in the all age they won't go as quick 
is going to get a better run compared to Parada and Santa and Elaine. Um, but I just think the the all age seem to be run at a faster tempo than expected. I don't think Bivouac is that good when the speed is really on. As we saw in the new market, it just seemed to be building up its momentum. In saying that, I still thought it was a disappointing run and I probably should have maybe stuck with one of my initial choices in Parada. I just thought that was an outstanding ride by Tommy Berry to be positive from the barrier. I just think I expected Parada to be further back, but seeing that it was his last run, last career run, you know, it makes sense that they would have just thrown everything at it to try and get that last win. I'm surprised you've mentioned Pirata, given uh, two, the other two horses, uh, Tefane and Fasica, who won the race and ran third respectively, were two of our horses to follow over the last few weeks. So I thought you might have stuck stuck fat with those, mate. And, and you know, you got good price to Farnay, $12, $12.50. And Fasica, I think, started about $21. So worth following if you, you were on those. So you, you didn't get involved. Yeah, I just thought with Fasica, maybe in, in an easier race. So to run third in this was sensational. And Tefani, I mentioned it in the last podcast. I was keen on it to go to the Goodwood. I would have been all over her in that race. But, you know, the trainer knows best and he has come away with a, a 1,400 win. <laughs> Arguably made the right choice. A couple of horses in behind were a little bit disappointing. Our, our old fave, Santa Adelaina, not sure what to make of its runs this prep. Its second up performance was, was very impressive, running a nice second in the TJ, uh, but just hasn't quite come back the same horse since it went over to Hong Kong. Yeah, it's... Um, I just... I found with Santa the last couple of... With the this campaign and previous campaign, it still performed really well second up, like it always has. But the third up run has been very flat. We mm-hmm. saw that in the spring and now in the autumn. So if if they do push on with Santa this spring, maybe it's this is just a two-run campaign. You're first up, second up, and that's it. Because we've seen it twice now where he's just been very flat at the third run. Yeah, that's right. And it's never been a first-up horse either. So the gap's shortening on when it's going to peak. But when it does peak, it obviously still runs well. You know, it's picked up a a placing in a a Group 1 this prep. So certainly can't knock that, but just not the same dominant horse we saw a year or so ago. No, he's he's certainly not at his peak anymore and uh, we did point out when it had its first up run the first up run was very inconclusive but it's it did bounce back to a really good um solid second up effort so it'd be interesting to see what the stable does now whether he's retired or they push on for a spring campaign Mm. well i hope they okay stick with it obviously still uh still very much a group one competitive horse uh, my should should have stacked it for the weekend was the race after that, the Hallmark Stakes, a uh, Group 3 race. Uh, and I have deprived as my should have sacked it. I think I just got a little bit caught up thinking that uh, the race looked like it was there to, for the taking, I guess, with a couple horses there, um, probably not quite up to its class, but also a couple with a little bit of extra weight and just thought it would have a nice sit in behind the hot pace and be able to finish off well over the top of them. But... Didn't really give much, to be honest, with a, a nice win there by Grey Worm and a, a pretty good performance again by Trekking and Kementari. Yeah, I think it was, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think it was a little bit disappointing. I was with Trekking in this race and 
I did, I, I did think, no, not sorry, not tracking Kementari. I thought Kementari might have done a little bit better here because there wasn't, I, I think a lot of the speed went out with the scratchings. And I did think trekking might have been a little bit closer as well in the run. So uh, not sure what to make of the, the four. Maybe trekking might be the one to, to follow because I was much improved that run. Yeah, look, well, I'm well-known trekking and Kementari fan, so I'm happy to hold on to those. And look, I thought La Romaine's effort was pretty good as well. So definitely one I'll keep an eye on. And I know in her time, which ran fifth, is, will be favourite uh, Rose Hill this week. So... Yeah, there's a, some good form in behind, and I wouldn't necessarily be jumping off the prior. I'm just, I guess, a little bit disappointed with its run, given it was sort of set up, set for this race, and it looked like it would be a, a good opportunity for it to take a win. But, yeah, that, that's probably a, one of many disappointments for the day, Big V. I probably could have done a, a number of should have sacked it, but uh, that's the one that probably stood out the most. Yeah. I think Kementari as well is... Becoming a little bit of a non-winner. I know he's had the big gap between um, last campaign and this campaign and the other failed, you know, start opportunities. But, um, yeah, I think he's becoming into that, um, <laughs> you know, hard to uh, trust now. But in his three-year-old year, he was, you know, a real bankable horse. But since then, he's just, I don't know if he's got that will to win, but he'll probably prove me wrong and and come up and win somewhere at a decent price? Oh, I wouldn't be jumping off. I think the horse had a big break. It's come back and run two strong placings. I, I certainly wouldn't be disappointed if I was a Kementari fan uh, moving forward. I think you're being a bit harsh on that one there, Big V, but you're welcome to your opinion there. Probably the one of the more impressive campaigns of the autumn, uh, as mentioned previously, was Ruby Saki. Look at... Rated really, really well in that race. It did look like it was going to be the winner, but, gee, you could have forgiven it for not running up to its normal standard. It missed a start, got really challenged at about the 100 and towards the 50, and you, you would have, after a pretty tough campaign, probably would have forgiven it for just giving up the goat and running a, a nice second, but it did stuck on. It's a real fierce competitor to, to go with its class, so that is definitely one to follow. It's now put six in a row together so i'm um, not sure where they'll go um, i hope they give it a bit of a spell it's it's certainly done them no um no harm this prep so see it back bigger and better in the spring yeah probably we'll go for a spell now i mean at some point i mean you can't just keep peaking run after run after run and that's six wins in a row now i think six is that right i think so yeah, yeah. And, and i don't it's been beaten twice in its career by no more than a nose i think yeah and it's just I mean, I wouldn't say it keeps on stepping up to the mark. I just think it's it's probably past its peak of the campaign, but it's just just better. Just had superior class, and you know the last couple of wins have been real, real gutsy, and and particularly with the um, just with the the campaign, you know, it's been going up in distance, back in distance, up and back. So it's been good placement by the trainer Patrick Payne. Look, I'll probably put it away now, give it a break and come back in the spring. And hopefully if it comes up against some strong opposition or opposition with a bit of depth, we might get a price about her now because the last couple of last couple of runs is, you know, we've had to take a pretty short price on her. I mean dollar eighty five is pretty short, but there was a look like a good thing on the weekend. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing her back in the spring. Uh, spe- speaking of horses that we're looking forward to, um we were discussing William Thomas last week but it was more in the context of its uh non-run 
and then starting favourite. But it's actually come out in race seven at Caulfield yesterday and won at a nice price, $10.60, storming down the outside and getting the job done by about a length and a half. So what did you make of that, mate? Maybe that extra run topped it off after its uh, <laughs> little uh, non-run the week before. Yeah, probably did. It was on the backup, and I mean, I didn't see much in its run last week to suggest that it was going to blow this field away, and that's what it did. It just, it looked, I think at the 300, it just looked like the only one you wanted to be on. It just finished so strongly, but when I couldn't back it, it was it looked like a really tough field, and yeah, you know, some yeah, you know, some decent horses in this race. Hummer, Hummer, Liar. I thought Eduardo didn't perform up to expectations. So it was a very open race, and, you know, if you've stuck with William Thomas, you got rewarded. So you mentioned a horse there, Eduardo. I'm, I'm, you had that segment last week, the uh, horses in the bin won't be backing them again. And I think I didn't back it on the weekend, but Eduardo would certainly be in that camp for me now. I think it's just about giving up uh, as a horse. It, it used to be a really good front-running winner, but now just in lesser class, just was done 300 metres out and just didn't look interested. So disappointing, but, yeah, a few in behind it there that you wouldn't want to follow, I don't think. Yeah, you want to see it run a few more times and just see if it can improve. It, you know, maybe it's been burnt up from its autumn campaign last year where it had that really fast and hard Oakley plate and, you know, backed up only two weeks later into the new market and, you know, maybe that's just cooked the horse and... I know it's run a couple of thirds since, but, you know, a horse of this um, talent and, you know, the Group 2 winner back in 2018, I, you know, I was expecting a little bit more from him on the weekend, but it's probably one of those horses now where we have to just wait a run or two just to see if he's, you know, can get back to some sort of, you know, high level that we expect from him. Speaking of horses that didn't live up to expectations, what did you think of the runs of Pippi in the third? Started about a dollar ninety favourite and uh, was well well found by a lot of punters, and then missed a quickie in the subsequent race. Around uh, a nice second, I thought actually, but might start with Pippi. Yes, Pippi. Well, in the stewards reported, had pulled up with a slow recovery, so an excuse there. I know it's not a, a strong twelve hundred metre horse, but it has won a twelve hundred. And I, th- and I reckon if you're an Oakley Plate winner, you should be winning 1,200 against this type of opposition. But there was excuses for her. With Mr Quickie, I just think that Ollie got too far back on him. Now, barrier 10, probably, probably he had... You know, the barrier probably played had to was against him, and that's no other option. But on a ninety favourite... You want to see them get put into the race. I mean, he had no chance of winning from back there. Yeah, it was still the run of the race for me. I mean, it was a, a great uh, run from last, but, yeah, it needed to be closer to win. It was never never going to uh, challenge the winner sentimentalist. Yeah. Uh, as for Pippi, yeah, I think $2 to me looked like a great price, and I don't like taking shorties, but I just thought it had everything over its uh, opponents in that race. So I was pretty disappointed to see it folded about the with about 150 metres to go. So, yeah, I was interested to see. You mentioned it had a slow recovery, but, oh, geez, that was a disappointing one for punters, I think, uh, early on in the day. Sometimes with these fast horses, um, and we see, I saw it with Nature Strip, when you take the shorts on these fast horses, everything has to go right for them. 
you, you rather take you rather see them in a stronger field where you can get three four dollars about them rather than you know odds on because they are, if they do overdo it a little bit that can be their undoing and just back on Mr Quickie I mean I I wouldn't jump off him I think maybe next start if you can draw a barrier where he can be a bit more forward in the run you know that might be the difference between winning and losing. I think there was a lot of merit in that in that performance by Mr. Quickie. Another now, horse that we had in the bin was Sosie Bond, and that's uh, made me look silly again. Uh, but, but in saying that, I reckon it could probably stay in the bin now because seeing that it's won now, I wouldn't be backing it to to get another win pretty quickly. That race looked pretty well set up for it, didn't it? But I, I wasn't taking the $4. I, I stayed steered clear of that race because um, when the favourite Sosie Bond, it's always a danger. Not a great segue, but I wanted to ask you a question, Big V. We've obviously had a, a big autumn carnival, and it is continuing. We're not saying it's all over, but the main races, I guess, at least from a Sydney perspective, have now wrapped up. So I'm interested to know who your horse of the autumn is and why. Gee, that's one at short notice. Can I have later on in the podcast? To oh, come on, Big V. Nah, go for it, mate. Tell us just what the first horse that comes to your mind. Oh, the first horse that comes to mind is maybe Colette, because that was my first, that was my last winner. So, oh, it's a tough one. Um, we had Regal Power win the All-Star Mob, and that was a a big effort. A couple um, big wins from Nature Strip. We had a Dave come over and yes. win a couple group ones. Alligator Blood had some couple of dominant performances. I know it's um, had the... A positive drug test from the Magic Millions, but let's not that overshadow the the Group One wins that Alligator Blood had for the moment. So yeah, that was an, another big performance. So yeah, there's a couple of horses there that. You've so which, picked, but maybe you've got the nail on the head, Nature Strip, because that was after its first up flop. It's just been unbeatable. Yeah, I had, and admittedly, had much more notice than you because I wrote it down. But I had a Nature Strip and a Dave as my top two. I think if you come over here from England and win two Group Ones in a se- in a season, you've you've done a tremendous job, and I think it's been done much or if not at all. So uh, yeah, I thought that, and obviously Nature Strip's dominance were the two that stood out for me. Yeah, and the other one is um, maybe a surprise horse is Conti Patero winning mm, yep. two Group Ones, both at big odds, maybe not in the same class of those horses, and it's probably had conditions to suit, but you know. These mares races are very tough to win, and you always you seem to get a different winner every time they run around. So for for her to get back to back wins, it's a that's a top effort as well. Well, the good thing about it too is the fact we've got you know we've just mentioned you know six or seven horses there, and you could easily make a case for all of them. It's quite an even crop, unlike previous years we've uh, probably only had one horse in the in the mind when we've looked at horses of the season, horses of the year, winks. So. Yeah, it was, it's, that's, I guess, a testament to the good racing that we have had, that there's a few options available to us. Now, mate, we've got a, another listener question. They're coming in fast at the moment. I, I have to pick the, you know, the one that I, I want, but if you have thrown in a question, rest assured we will get to it at some point. But the listener question this week is, uh, it's around betting strategy. So uh, this, is, this is perfect for you, Big V, as our, as our uh, tipster. What is your strategy on how much... To be on a horse now not the most eloquently worded question but i think what they're trying to ask here is how do you determine how much you're putting on a horse when gambling if you're on a two dollar pop is that different 
to how much you would put on a $10 shot? Do you go each way? Could you just explain your betting philosophy for us? Well, obviously, the shorter the odds, you're putting a bigger stake on it. I back mostly favourites and second favourites, but I don't try to go too short. So $2 is probably a bit too short for me. I want to get something maybe at least 270 280 mark, you know, maybe... $3. I like backing favourites that are in the $3, $4 range because you're getting good value. And I seem to have more success with those types of horses than the than the real shorties. Now, I don't mind. I'm not afraid to back horses that are at $5, $6, provided I think that they're the horses that should be the favourite. I think one strategy people have is they back horses. If they see a horse that is bigger odds than what they've assessed it, they'll back it just because they think it's over the odds. I, I tend to not do that. I just back the horse that I think will win the race and I just determine whether it's good value. So if I get in a horse that's, you know, $6, $7, but I think it should be the favourite, then I'll get on it. Yeah, I think that's probably where we differ a little bit, Big B. I'm quite happy to have a go at something at odds if I think it's over the odds. So I like to look for value. I think that's the only way you can beat the bookies is by finding value. If you're yeah, back, you can find, And you yeah, can find value at $2 as well, don't get me wrong. If you've assessed it as a $1.50 chance and it's $2, that's still value. But I think we do get caught up sometimes backing favourites at a you know $1.80, $1.90. And at that price, they've got to win the race you know, more than one in two times to make to make money. So, I mean, that's a, that's a high level of confidence and there's so much that can go wrong in a race, as we saw with horses like Pippi yeah. on the weekend, that I want to see a little bit of value in my bets. Yeah. Um, we were talking actually before the podcast about the merits of when to go each way. Now, you, you don't mind going each way, even if the horse is quite short on the win line, whereas I'll, I'll only ever go each way if, you know, I'm backing a horse that's probably more 7 or $8.00. Yeah. Uh, to win and maybe two two fifty to place. Yeah, it's just the way I've been brought up, and I, I look at it from you know from you're you're looking at it from maximising your profit. I'm looking at it trying to minimise my losses. So if I back a couple of place getters and just having one of those days, and I'm backing a lot of seconds and a lot of thirds. At least I've still got a bit of ammo left in me, so I can try and finish the day in front. So if I get that, if I do find that winner. I've gone from a small loss to a you know decent win on the day rather than coming back from a very significant negative position and then trying to finish even on the day. Yeah, so you're saying I'm a glass half full guy, is that what you're saying? Go for well, the win. I'll put it that way. Yeah, that, that's how I'll, I'll put it. <laughs> glass half full, glass half empty. I look at it as, as a, from a purely from a the perspective of trying to finish the day in front. And it does hurt if you're backing the you know, a couple of seconds and they're getting beat by a nose, you know. You, you know, a couple of centimetres is the difference between, you know, being, you know, $50, $100 even more down on the day to winning. And we're talking about centimetres. Well, one of the strategies that I've heard a lot, and I, I think if you are new to punting, it's not a bad way to look at it, is to have a, a set amount that you want to win. So let's say you want to win $50, so if you're betting a $2 on a $2 pop, you'll have $25 on it. If you're betting on a $10 pop, you'll have $5 on it. If it's a 50 to 1 pop, you'll have a dollar on it. So always bet to win the same amount, which I don't think is a bad strategy, particularly if you are new to punting because 
it gives you a guide for how much you should be putting on a horse. And you might, your number might be $10. It might not be $50, but you choose where it suits you and then always aim for that target. And I think you can't really go wrong with that strategy. Yeah. Well, the approach that I'm taking is that I want to try and just stay in the game. So if I'm backing a couple of place getters, I'm still in it for the day. So I can have a crack at a couple of other horses. And you know, a couple of weeks ago, you know, I had a slow start and, you know, things were going against me, but I wasn't too far out of it. So that's when I was able to have a crack at Ghana at Morfordville, and that ran second. So I, I was each way on that. You know, I think it paid a dollar eighty, dollar ninety a place, so I wasn't totally out of it. And then that's when I decided to get on Rupisaki at two fifty. If they hadn't been paying $2, I probably wouldn't have been able to make up what I was behind on the day, but... Because Ruby Saki was got out to two fifty and ended up paying two seventy SOP, I was able to have a crack at it and you know get a return that got me back in the black. No, that fair enough. I hope that answered our uh, listener question there. I think we. Uh... Gave that a good go, Big V. Actually, that same listener, funnily enough, uh, created the first should have backed it meme during the week as well, where they took the image of Sam Newman on the steps of the Victorian Parliament complaining about the fact that golf wasn't allowed and uh, put one of your rants over the top of it, the one where you uh, didn't have access to Sky 2 and you went on a on a big V high horse rant and he's put some uh, words to that to that effect over the top of the, of the picture of Sam Newman. So we'll put that up on the Twitter handle so everyone can have a look. But uh, pretty funny one, Big V. Enjoy yeah, that. Pretty, pretty clever. <laughs> oh, I thought you would have liked it, mate. You, uh, Sam no, Newman's an idol of yours, isn't he? No, I did, Bit of a hero. I, 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 did, I did like the meme. Was, as I said, it was uh, very clever. And if you <laughs> get it up on the, the Twitter handle... Yeah, I think I, I think we'll have to, mate. I think we'll have to. Uh, but, yeah, very nice work by our listener there, so thanks for that. Uh, we'll move on now to our horses to follow. Now, obviously, sort of wrapping up a little bit in Sydney in terms of the big racing. So what I want from you, Big V, if you do have one, is a couple horses to follow in Adelaide. Again, questions without notice, but I know that you'll come to the table with these ones. Well, I think shared ambition looks the obvious. Um if it steps up to 2,400. It did drift in the market, wide barrier. So just, I think a lot of people found that one. It just depends on what price you're going to get next And Trekking looks like he might be ready to win now. That was an improved run. And going to the last race, I was surprised that Ranier was a $26 shot, really drifted in. I thought $14 was over the odds for him. And he's even drifted out to $26. It was a tough race, but I, Rani is a pretty talented horse and there might be a few more wins for him. Um, yeah, actually, remiss of me to miss that one, but I, I actually had a couple uh, loose, a bit of my loose change on Rani that, in that race, so I was very happy to see it just got the job done there. To add it to the potty, yeah. I thought barrier 13, that might have been the reason why it's drifted. You know, first up, might be back in the field, but this year it's turned up and it's won. You know, it did did get back in the field, but it's just it's come from last to first. So, you know, maybe deeper in its, into its campaign, you know, it can be closer in the run and it'd be even tougher to beat against similar opposition. 
Well, speaking of the quaddy, mate, that was a very tough league that you had for the punters club, and you managed to pick the first four. So uh, hopefully you made some money five. out of the first five, or even better. First five, and it was only a length between them. So I was able to pick six horses, and the other horse was Desert Lord, which ran seventh. So it was only a length between the top five. So you know, maybe maybe the four might be questionable, even though I did make made Ranier's horse to follow. But I think Ranier's probably got a bit more upside to these other horses and maybe faced offs maybe. But yeah, it was a tough leg and we again we missed out on the quaddy by one leg. I was gonna say, um whilst it was great that you managed to pick the top five big V, it was irrelevant because we were already out of it after the first leg. But the second isn't that the second week in a row we've been knocked out of the first leg? Uh, that is the fourth week in a row that we've gone three legs no, and a second. Yeah, that, that might be the case, yeah. But, look, it doesn't really matter when you go out. If you go out, you go out. And as we discussed yeah. when we talked about quaddies... Uh, we would have got, a, what, a percentage of 28K? We, we left about $1,400 out there, mate, unfortunately. But we'll, uh, we'll rebuild and have another crack, as we always do at punning, mate. So um, in terms of my horses to follow, I um, only had one, actually. It was out of Caulfield. Obviously, there's a few obvious ones that that we've run through throughout, including Ruby Saki. But I actually thought Knowles' run was really good. Uh, it found itself in the wrong part of the track now two weeks in a row. I think it ran a nice fourth on the weekend and off the back of a second the week before. So I'm happy to stick with it. I think you'll get a price next start as well. Uh, so Knowles is my horse to follow. Yeah, I think from Caulfield, the one also I want to follow as well is a fair to remember. It was mm. a beaten favourite. Drew wide. I reckon if she can draw a gate, she might be she might be able to win again. And there's a couple to follow from Morfordville as well. So from that Ghana Keylong race we mentioned, I think uh, Rocker, Vassarana and Sizzlefly were also good from that race. Rosha Vassarana was first up and last campaign had run fourth in the Guineas prelude behind Alligator Blood. Mm and also ran in the Caulfield Guineas, so he might be even better stepping up to 12, 1,400 metres. And I think in the race after, uh, in the race eight of Morfordville, just run at a ridiculous speed. One of the outsiders was probably about 20 lengths ahead of the rest of the field in the run. <laughs> so just, it, these are tough races to really follow when you get a um, just a, a leader that just goes stupid out in front. But I thought Wings of Pastrami was a good run to come out of it. And maybe in a, a race group with a normal tempo uh, might uh, suit it a lot better. Doesn't surprise me you like a horse called with, with, with Pastrami in the name there, Big V. We'll find one with Salami and then we'll be laughing. I reckon the most success, I'm going to self declare it as the most successful segment of our podcast has been the runs from the bush, Big V. I think I've finally got you on board over two seasons to watch more. Um, runs in, from the country. In fact, the other day you were texting me, you were watching Packenham and texting me that all the short price favourites were getting done. So I'm glad I've won you over finally and I've got you watching the run from the bush. And there's a couple that we've been following on the podcast that have done well over the last week. The first was Young Liam, uh, who I mentioned on the podcast two weeks ago. It uh, started and won at Cranbourne on Friday night. I know Pippi might be giving it a run for its money, but it's tough to find a better horse out of the gates than this young Liam. It flies early. You, there's no horse that will be able to take it on over the first 400. 
I understand it will now be entered in a three-year-old race at Caulfield. So definitely keep your eye on for young Liam when it runs at Caulfield because uh, if Caulfield is a front-runner's track and it didn't necessarily play that way on the weekend, but I'd be uh, very keen to see how it goes in that race. The other horse is, again, Liale. So we mentioned it last week. It was a $26 winner at Caulfield. And in race nine at Caulfield uh, on the weekend, it started a little even even longer. I think it, I actually boosted it up to $51, but I think SP was $31. And it's run a very gallant second again, paying $7.50 a play. So if you were following the runs from the bush from last week, you would have uh, picked up a nice $7.50 place and a $2 winner there at Cranbourne with young Liam. So a couple of good performances from the runs from the bush segment. I did see... Uh... Now that you mentioned him, I did see young Liam nominated for Flemington this Saturday. Oh. Maybe, uh, whether it runs in the in the field, but it might be coming up against the inevitable, which will be a, a tough ask. Well, the reason that I, I said three-year-old race at Caulfield is that uh, after the race, the trainer did mention that. So maybe that's the target. I'm not sure. And they'll, maybe they're having a bit of a look at the field at Flemington as well before they decide to go to Caulfield. But either way, I'll be taking a, a close look at it uh, when it does go into town. I now, just want to see where, it's, um, where it trains because in a lot of instances, you'll know being, uh, being related to a trainer, is that... Uh, the horses get nominated for the races, and that allows them to be able to train on the course proper at the at the track that they're trained from. What are you trying to say there, Big V? Where they nominate, they can train. Yeah, when they get nominated for the races, they're entitled to train on the course proper at the at the base where they're training where they're trained out of. So if you're trained at Corf Cranbourne, if you're nominated for a race on a Saturday. You can train on the course proper at Cranbourne. I'm going to fact check that one, Big V. I haven't heard that before. I was under the impression all horses trained at Cranbourne were training on the training circuit rather than the horse the, than the course proper. But I I do have an insider insider that will be able to tell me all about that. So I'll, I'll follow that up and and let you know, Big V. But yeah, interesting interesting point. Now, Big V, actually, speaking of Pakenham, going back to that, I noticed that they had a jumps meeting on Sunday, and it occurred to me that it's not. Jumps racing is not something that I think we've ever discussed uh, either on this podcast or or more generally. And I, I am interested in your, your thoughts on jumps racing, whether you, you like it and whether it's something you're interested in or whether you might not be as big a fan. I'm not a fan of jumps racing from the punting point of view. I I do want jumps racing to keep going because of the, you know, it's, it's you know, jobs and, you know, the part for the participants, but it's not something I get in, involved in from a punting point of view. Um, I didn't watch the races on Sunday. I was too busy licking my wounds from Saturday. <laughs> but come the Warnable Carnival, I will be watching the jumps and even in the lead-up, I will you know, watch the, the jumps races in the lead-up to Warnable. So I do support jumps racing, but I don't get involved from a punting perspective. No, that's fair enough, mate. It's a, it's a bit heart-in-your-mouth stuff sometimes, the... Uh... The uh, jumps racing, so um, yeah, no, I do like watching it, but yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, it's not always something that I'll have a, I'll have a bet on. It's more of a spectacle I've for me. A, I've got a punting story about jumps, and back when they, they used to have the jumps at Flemington, yeah, you know, they used to have the, I think the um, one of the main days was the jumps day in the winter, and I, I went there with my dad and his mates, and my dad had a quaddy on, and the first leg was the 
was the jumps race, and they had a short favourite. So he went one out with a short favourite. Missed the hurdle, fell, knocked out of the quaddy, and he's got the, the next three legs as well. So just shows how, you know, the you know, the jumps racing, that, you know, that's why I stay out of them because, you know, if a horse falls over, you've done your cash. Yeah, that's right. Uh, there is an extra element of, you know, in play, obviously being the hurdles. So, uh, but I guess in the same way, a horse can can be checked or not find a run, or there's a whole other bunch of reasons in a flat race why a horse doesn't win as well. But I do get your point. So, in terms of racing that's coming up, obviously um, Rose Hill again this week, and we've got the Adelaide Carnival. But there's also a couple of big races in Hong Kong next week, and the return of Beauty Generation. So, um, plenty of racing still around for our. Uh, for punters and plenty to, to look after. But uh, what, what are you sort of looking forward to moving forward, given we won't be doing the podcasts for a little while, Big V? Is there any race that sticks out or any horses uh, that you'll you'll definitely be on in, in those big races? Well, I'll keep my eye out on Adelaide. I mean, I don't have a lot of success punting in Adelaide. Just funny things happen over there. But <laughs> uh, Russian Camelot's been nominated. Did say uh, that, yes. It's going to be up against Dalasan. So it'll be interesting to see what odds come up. I mean, I reckon Russian Camelot will be pretty short. You know, I think people will jump on it because of, based on its pack and win. You know, race it, it was always going to win by six lengths, so I'm not going to get carried away <laughs> by that. But there's some other nice horses there. The Moonlight Gambler looks like um, a derby chance. I had a quick look at the nominations for the Sunshine Coast this oh, yeah. week, and, and um, there's a race that does interest me to have a watch, and one of your horses that you've backed a couple of times, Hambo's mate, <laughs> coming up against Vega One, horse that I've backed a couple of times. I'll have to have to take a good look at that, mate. I haven't looked at the Sunshine Coast form in a long time, so I'll, I'll keep an eye on that one, mate, and, uh, and see if we get a good price anyway. Now, mate, that's uh, that's a wrap for all the second season of the Shoulda Backed It podcast. Um, thanks, Big V, for your uh, imparting all your knowledge on us and giving us all your hot tips. So I think if you followed your tips throughout the carnival, you would have done pretty well, um, even if you didn't follow them yourself. Uh, <laughs> I picked the right horses, but they went to the races that I didn't want them to go in. And yet they still won, so someone's doing something right. But uh, also to our listeners, and I do appreciate that, you know, our listener numbers have increased throughout the year and it's great to have so much more interaction with everyone through the at Shoulda Backed It Twitter handle and, and through our email as well where we've got a few uh, few comments as, as well. So please subscribe to the podcast because we will be back and you don't want to miss the first episode of next season. So we'll be coming back early in the spring for the spring carnival. And yeah, hopefully by then, Big V will be actually able to go to the races again. Yeah, even if and even if we can't, hopefully there'll be some pubs and clubs open that we can go and watch the races with our mates. And yeah, I just I I'm, I'm really looking forward to going back to the track. And be a shame if we couldn't go during the spring carnival, particularly during the Flemington carnival. So yeah, fingers crossed. You know, we'll be back on course pretty soon. For sure. For sure. All right, well, to our listeners, take care, stay safe, and uh, we'll see you in a few months' time. And as always, good luck on the punt.